0: This is the Game Theory Podcast, Episode 7, Fairness, with Brian Fife, Jim Fingle, and Tom Westberg. What was the papal ruling on that anyway? Does a clicked cow have a soul?
1: It did have a soul until they were all raptured.
0: I guess that was the ultimate confirmation.
1: Yeah, they were not left behind.
0: Yike. You just have an involuntary little shiver there? It's just a
2: conversation to come into the middle of it slightly scary, but okay. <laughs>
1: I just learned there was a an app, My First Cow Clicker, where you can outsource your cow clicking to uh, your child in the form of, of a game that they can play. And when they click the cow, you get clicks for it.
0: So it's kind of a cow pyramid scheme.
1: Yeah. Why just instrumentalize your friends when you can exploit your children, too? <laughs> After all, they've got to be good for students. It's just my, my bid to make every episode about Cow Clicker. Hi, this is Jim Ringel.
0: I'm Brian Fife. <laughs> I'm Tom Westbrook. This is the Game Theory Podcast. Today we're talking about... What are we talking about, Tom? Fairness in games, ever elusive.
1: And as always, I feel like the first thing we need to do is establish definition. I think fairness is interesting because there are a lot of phenomena that fall under the category of fairness. How people play together versus... Fairness in single-player games versus games with online and monetary components. So what are your guys' definitions?
2: Uh, Well, I'll go. I'll basically say fairness for games is entirely in the eye of the beholder because the only really important aspect of it from the perspective of games is whether it messes up the game for you. You may decide something that's perfectly reasonable for everybody else is Unfair to you and the game is now spoiled. That's, that's your reason. You called it unfair. You used that word and you're, you're going to stick with it. So that game isn't fun for you right now because it's unfair that everybody is better at it than I am. Some people consider that unfair. Other people are buying their way to win. Other people are botting or using exploits. I think some of these we might get general agreement are unfair except that's probably because n- nobody on on this podcast likes to use exploits and uh, mods. Those people probably don't consider it's unfair.
1: At a certain point, it transcends the, the idea of there being fairness in games like that. If you look at it as a piece of technology and your goal is not to play the game, your goal is to do something interesting technically, then whether or not it's fair that your computer skills can can exploit a game is, it's like outside of the paradigm that you're operating in.
2: Now, I've got to say that I get a little uncomfortable going completely off the deep end of moral relativism. The notion that there is no such thing as good or bad behavior, you could basically say, well, it's that community. And within that community, cheerfully using the word rape in every other... Uh, instant message. It's just the way they talk.
0: Don't get us started on
1: that.
2: Well, uh, I, I did that, of course, because that's a, a hot button for certain of us here. I think actually, just language in general could be, could be a, a hot button, whether it's being callous about violence or, for some people, it will be profanity or insulting groups. A lot of that in language you'll see just because of the immaturity of a lot of the players in the community. But that same sort of immaturity
0: reflects itself in people's perceptions of fairness. There's also the internet jerkwad theory, which comes into play a lot anytime there's multiplayer gaming.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of moral relativism, the reason why the word fairness to me, it's interesting to me because everyone uses the the, the term phrase and it is like it connects to an emotional experience of playing games. But then at the same time, to have a discussion about it, because it's such an emotional term that is relative to, to the beholder, I feel like in order to to make value judgments, you need to get beyond, I guess, the emotional evaluative part of it and, and start talking about agreed rule sets or balance or things like that.
0: Taking a step back, I, mean, I think we all can probably come to at least a preliminary consensus around the fact that when you're playing multiplayer games, if if there's something happening where some people get an unfair advantage whether it's exploit or whatever people would consider that to be unfair <laughs> it's
2: an unfair advantage that makes it unfair
1: by unfair ad- advantage I think you mean something outside of the scope of what anyone could do within the the generally agreed upon rules of the game well, what,
0: what, are, what are normally acknowledged as the four corners of the game the example that we like to cite is in World of Tanks the Russian artillery happens to have a much higher arc of fire than the other artillery so If you're hiding behind a rock, sometimes that particular artillery can shoot you where most of the other artillery would not be able to. People say, hey, that's not fair. You cheated. And that's just because they don't understand that that's possible. Let's talk about single-player only games. Does the concept of fairness exist here?
1: I'm not sure. For me, it, it seems like fairness really implies a thing that happens between competitors
2: Okay, let let me give a a possible counterexample to that, going way back to my dark ages.
0: (laughs) I I was hoping you'd tell this story.
2: Which is that uh, the Atari 2600, which is a very, very primitive game system, didn't have a lot of time to execute game algorithms. And the backgammon game didn't actually have enough code or time to do a decent competitive algorithm for the computer player that would play against you. They were able to manage to code in the graphics, crude as they were, of the game board, and the algorithm for the rules, and for determining whether a particular position was better or worse. But they really didn't come up with any decent AI for it, running it on a 6502 in a couple of scan lines of instruction cycles, which literally that's... That was how they measured the amount of time you had to execute code because all of the game logic had to happen during the uh, vertical blanking interval of the TV picture. So the approach they took was to measure how well the computer was doing, and if you were on the hard difficulty and it got a bad roll, it would roll again and not show you. Since the computer was controlling the supposedly random dice, it just... Gave itself better roles and did better against you. Any player who knew that would basically say that's unfair, and why should I bother to play this game?
0: But that's that's effectively the <laughs> the essence of any, or at least the majority of AI, even today, right?
1: There is something that feels sneaky about that, and and it feels like the developers are in some way cheating a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I guess the question is if it seems like they're, the, they're representing that they programmed a better AI than they did.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean a game that I enjoy a lot, Supreme Commander 2, the sliders when you go into the AI, one of the settings if you go all the way to the right is cheating. Basically the way you make the game harder is to give the AI faster production or tougher units. There isn't any more intelligence that comes into play as you increase the difficulty. And they're very, they're very upfront about it because that's just what the state of the art apparently is. RTS AIs are very, very hard. Yeah, why would you, why would you hide really good AI except when somebody plays on hard difficulty levels? It doesn't make any sense.
1: If Backgammon was not a board game before that video game came out, would, would that make a difference?
0: It would still be cheating, right? Or or have unrealistic luck. You could simply say, oh, it has hidden rules
2: you don't know about. You could say that about Halo. Uh, the, the amount of damage a given weapon can do and where things can hit, that is completely programmed by the game designers, and it is a part of the definition of their game world. And so if the enemies you're up against, when, when you're going up against a particular big bad boss, you know he's got lots of hit points, That's part of the definition of a boss. You don't expect anything different. You don't consider that cheating, that he has way more health than you do. You consider that just an obstacle to overcome. That's part of the definition of the game there. In the case of of Backgammon, though, the definition of the game, as you said, was set before and everybody's supposed to understand those rules, and the implicit part of those rules is that the dice are random.
0: And you talked about the strategy game for the TurboGrafx-16.
2: Right, the military madness. Now that one, it just simply became obvious that when you played against the AI, the AI always had essentially better starting positions, and uh, that that became painfully obvious when you'd play against a human, and the human who played in the position of the second uh, of the uh, AI's player got all the advantages and would unless he was an idiot pretty much tromp on you.
0: One of the things that I struggled with as I was as I was thinking about this podcast and trying to get prepared, I stumbled upon the the Tom Chick review of Secret World a while ago. Really kind of kind of stuck in my brain because he talked about, you know, the game being bad because the quests had flaws in them and you never knew if there was a flaw or not. And there's a part of me that wants to call that unfair. And there's another part of me that says maybe that's just bad <laughs> game design <laughs> and we should maybe, just call it, it was that. Maybe it's broken, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm
2: going to go for broken or buggy.
1: Yeah. But I guess it, it's, like, it's getting back to this idea that if if you paid for the game and it's broken or buggy, there is a feeling of unfairness in the, the sense that you thought you were getting something and it was represented that you were, you were getting something. But it turns out that that's not the case or one was pulled over you.
0: Yeah. Hey, it's not fair. They showed they showed trailers of flying griffins, and it turns out that's just a cutscene. I don't actually get to fly a griffin in the game. That's not fair. That's marketing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but it's like the the same it's emotion a, it's represents a betrayal the, of trust. It's a betrayal of, of betrayal trust. trust yeah. yeah, betrayal of trust and like violation of of rules. Are very different things and yet the, it sort of like evokes the same motion
0: the rules exist because of a, a a set of you know kind of implied trust, but they are they are not the same thing
1: right mm-hmm.
0: so can a single player game be unfair
1: i don't know I, I think that the, the example of the dice roll in the computer version of backgammon is that that is a very good one because if a human did that with a dice, that would clearly be cheating and unfair.
2: And you have expectations of the implied world, which is that this is a simulation of a regular physical backgammon game. That's probably the betrayal of trust there. And I, I, in some ways, I think we are equating betrayal of trust with, um, with unfairness here. There, 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 are At least it's certainly related.
0: I want to segue here because I was thinking about something that you said earlier today, Tom, when you were talking about and, and I interpreted this as looking – when you have a game like Backgammon, the rules are are pretty simple and everybody understands them. And you could sit down with this Atari game and tally all the rules and eventually you'd be able to determine that the probabilities are out of whack. Right. But with modern games, MMOs, whatever it is, not only are the mechanics of these games extremely complex, it's also the case that they're often – intentionally not published. And the only way that people come up with these things on wikis or guides or whatever the heck they are is they reverse engineer the whole thing. And I guess where I'm going with this is at a certain point, it becomes impossible for somebody to determine that this cheating is going on. If in fact it is.
2: Yes. There's something there, which is essentially obscurity or limited visibility of knowledge is a game mechanic in Many, many
0: games. Well, and there were these things that that we took for granted, for example, in WoW World of Warcraft. You read about the boss fights at the end of the game or whatever it is, and there are these very complicated mechanics that players must adhere to rules about. As you wear this much armor, this happens, and as this much, you know. And for NPCs, there's just a fixed value or a fixed multiplier, or there's some arbitrary thing that's decided, and the rules don't apply to them at all.
2: Right. I don't know that that's necessarily a, uh, a fairness thing in terms of rules as much as a, simpli- a simplification for the programmers.
0: Yeah, and that may well be the case. Uh, so I, I, s- I mean, it, 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 in that case, I think
2: that, that more, more often than not, they're just trying to set things up. If they keep the abstractions more straightforward for the programmers and the game designers, they're less likely to have dark little nonlinear corners That, that can, can get set up.
0: Well, you also make it easier. I mean, this is, this is true in Dungeons and Dragons, the latest edition of the role-playing game where you don't have to, you know, pick armor for every character. You just use it, you know, it makes scaling out NPCs, trash mobs in the game a lot easier.
1: Yeah, if you, yeah. If you had to do the, the amount of detail that that I spent when I was in sixth grade planning out the character that I never played with for every NPC, that would that would certainly be unfeasible for the dungeon master. Just trying to take
0: us to take Are you ready to talk about that, Tom?
2: This is a blog posting that Brian referred to us by a blogger Greedy Goblins, and his blog post is proof that World of Tanks is rigged. And proof. proof. He, he, he <laughs> proves exclusive. Yeah. So and then he immediately, in the second paragraph, he says, the title's misleading because I don't and can't have real proof. But then he goes on to assume he does. His basic premise is that when World of Tanks, which in which uh, uh, matches of 15 versus 15 players are set up by the computer, the algorithms to set up the teams are deliberately set up such that people who are very good will be placed with complete idiots to lower the averages of the good people and to raise the averages uh, of the idiots and therefore improve their self-esteem and make them want to keep playing. And so then that the the overall goal of the uh, matchmaker is that everybody should be right at 50% win-loss
0: ratio. And this is why you're hot stuff in the game if you have a win ratio of 52 or 54 or something like that. Right.
1: Well, so is the idea that that's, that's bad because really in an ideal world it would be good enough to pit you against players that, at your level of difficulty so that you'd have a 50-50 rather than taking the cheap route to throwing noobs on your team?
0: The point that he was arguing was that the game actually would make you miss shots in order to make you lose if your number was up. But I think there's a bigger question of Does a game where you win half your games and lose half your games end up in the right place for people?
2: Well, he also went into the notion that uh, a potentially better way of setting up the the matchmaking would be to have tiers of ability. And it would pit the best players – against the best players for all 15 slots.
0: Well, this is what League of Legends does.
2: And the worst players against the worst players. But the interesting thing about that is if you had pretty much infinite players all on a bell curve, I can't prove this statistically. I'm not particularly good at that. But in the limit, it seems to me that you would end up with everybody in every league at 50%. Because by definition... You have infinite players to put against you, and your league is going to be put up so that they are identically good at the game as you are, and everybody runs at 50%, which is the, the thing he hated. You, you're really not going to solve the problem by moving that way. I I think his idea was probably, oh, well, but I would know that I was in the elite league. And so, if I'm if I lose fighting the the best people in the in the game, and particularly if the leagues are ranked, so
0: everybody knows, yes, that
2: my league is the top league, and I only have fifty percent in that. That's okay. That's essentially what he wanted to be able to do. And that's but that is not how the matchmaking system works.
1: So he was he was superior, but then he was stabbed in the back. Is is what what he's saying? He, He
2: didn't. To, to be very unhappy because he would say the rest of our team, the AFKers and the bots and the leeches hiding in the corner and so forth. He clearly has a, a great deal of contempt for a, a, anybody else randomly thrown onto his team.
0: Well, he's also an EVE player and so he kind of has that propensity to want to kill brutally anybody that uh, crosses him. I'd, I'd just go out and uh, a limb and say
2: Yeah, I will say, by the way, I took a recommendation about the Martyr too, and it's pretty impressive. It's a
0: fantastic tank to to drive.
2: Off
1: topic. I feel like in order to keep up on these podcasts, I'm going to have to start playing World of Tanks.
0: We're wondering when you'll catch the hint. Either that or we're going to eventually run
2: out of things to talk about on it.
1: And then I'm going to be too late, and I'm going to be talking about it, and you're going to be ready to to move on. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Old news. (laughs) It's
1: it's like guys, like really, the the newest patch to Farmville is so good.
0: You know, we've we've talked about single player fairness, maybe multiplayer fairness is a lot easier to talk about, or is it?
1: It seems like the definition is pretty straightforward. I mean, I thought it was it was interesting as Tom opened up the the discussion. The distinction between perceptual fairness and technical fairness because I would say it's not fair if, if anyone who has not played A Thousand Hours of Street Fighter 2 were, were to play against me. I would admit that that wasn't a fair fight. That's like a skill differential.
2: Wait, wait, wait. Do you mean it's not fair to play against you because you're, you're going to tromp on them or is it not be fair if for some reason the game set it up such that they occasionally actually beat you?
1: I would say it it would not be – if they were to go into that expecting any chance at victory, it would not be a fair fight. But
0: this is is well established in the canon of this illustrious podcast, the image we often invoke of the dew-eyed newbie wandering into the middle of a Counter-Strike game for about 0.2 seconds before they get their head blown off. I mean that's kind of what it would be like uh, walking into a Street Fighter 2 match with you, right?
1: Yeah, and and I think that it's a weird thing because on the one hand, if you are one of those people who are in the upper skill bracket, you're sort of proud of that and it gives you a thrill. But on the other hand, it actually does discourage people from playing games because, because they feel like they don't have a fighting chance. If you can imagine introducing a board game to your partner or your group of friends that you've played hundreds of hours at but they're learning for the first time the skill differential can get to a point where it's it's just like a disincentive from playing games at all because it doesn't feel like the game is free from bias
2: maybe a lot of this is people's attitudes and expectations and to some extent if watching you play Street Fighter against perhaps a mediocre player and watching how quickly, how clearly you could demonstrate superiority or watching you play against a similarly skilled player and watch the interesting moves both of you can make might still be entertaining to somebody who's only learning the game in the same way that somebody who just plays tennis for fun knows they're never going to compete with people at Wimbledon but they can still enjoy the, the skill of the people doing that.
1: But if they play a pickup game with someone who plays at, at Wimbledon.
2: <laughs> they're, they're probably not going to have any fun doing that. But hopefully the fact that they, they did that and would not put them off the game, a lot of that is is expectations. And, and for most of us, of course, even knowing that we would never in our lives, for, for many of the real physical sports, be able to play in the league of the professionals who are by definition the, the best trained and the best physically able at that particular, uh, sport. Does it mean that you, you have to say, well, then the sport is completely uninteresting to me now because I can't have any part of it.
0: Well, when, when Syracuse had talked about games on his podcast, he used tennis as an example where he said, if you play tennis, even if you've only played a few games, you have a much deeper Appreciation for what has to go into the game to do what these professionals are doing versus who you've never played before at all.
2: I believe that. And by, and by the way, I also believe there are, are people who would look at tennis or any game or sport and come to the conclusion that they weren't instantly going to be able to be competitive or whatever and throw down their racket and walk off the court and give up and so forth. And I submit in a non-moral relativistic way that those people are broken and I don't want to talk about
1: them. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the point that we started out with, that that emotion is relative and depends from person to person. That doesn't stop us from evaluating the the claims or the behaviors, either of the people who throw down the rackets or the pool sharks of the uh, <laughs> the video game world.
2: Speaking of rackets, Brian brought up the Batminton controversy, the uh, Olympics teams not playing to win in the context of fairness. I'll
0: let you go with that. Serlin.net. David Serlin
1: is a game designer from California.
0: Yeah, so there's a a website, Serlin.net, where a guy blogs about games. And he had a really interesting response to the controversy in this year's Olympics where badminton players were intentionally losing to seed themselves better for matches in the future. And they, they eventually got kicked out of the game for unsportsmanlike conduct. What he said as part of this was, uh, he's a guy who's run a lot of, I think, Street Fighter tournaments or something like that, and talked about the way that, you know, anytime you're not motivating people to play to win, it's your fault, not theirs, if they are motivated to throw a game. I think that was kind of the, the essence of his article.
1: Yeah, well, it's saying if, if your, your tournament design rewards certain behaviors, in the, yeah the over, ov- overall goal of winning the tournament, what you need to do is fix the design rather than punish the, the players for working within the rules that, that you set forth for them.
0: And this is completely unrelated, but it kind of reminds me of the first time I played League of Legends and uh, I was playing a, a match and something happened, you know, needed to do something with a kid or my wife needed my attention and so I just exited the game. And I got an email from the game. They said, you know, that's not a very nice thing to do, and if this keeps happening, we're gonna have a real problem here. Not finishing a match. And, and compare that to, and I know there are big differences in AI and what's possible, but compare that to Left 4 Dead, where you just did escape and your character goes on autopilot. And what a great way to design a game. There really are no hard feelings if you have to step away for a minute. If you can do it, and, but the problem is left for, there is... No, I understand that there's an AI difficulty level difference there.
2: AI is for the fact that you don't even start out with four people. Yeah. Uh, whereas, as as we know, any of these RTS AIs are going to be inferior, and your team is disadvantaged because you decided to do that. I actually think that was a reasonable reaction for the, the game designers to do it. The badminton post is, I think, a, a really interesting game-designer-centric view that everything about the game is a rule set designed by the game designer, and the game designers don't always make all the best choices, and the players are going to essentially, like water-seeking through craft, going to try to min-max their way to the best way to the goal you set which is, in the case of the Olympics, the gold medal. And so the metagame, outside a specific badminton match, the metagame of the latter was another part that nobody really considered to be part of badminton, but was set up poorly and would cause people to make these choices. Now, this is not really, in some sense, about fairness of, of somebody breaking specific rules literally— But you could say that there is something about the integrity of the game that is violated by that. And I think that's why people didn't like it. Uh, There's an interesting similar example to this, which probably sounds worse than the the throwing the game in badminton to get good opponents, which is in in the book Freakonomics. And it discusses, the uh, again, the ladder for sumo wrestling in Japan and the the particular rules are pretty arcane but it it turns out that late in the season particular wrestlers may have enough wins that it's very clear that they are going to stay in the league, the, the, only a certain top in of the group, will continue on next year.
0: Or they've qualified for playoffs or whatever the equivalent
2: is. Or, or actually, it, it's, it's qualified to play next year. Again, be in the sumo league at all. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're bumped out and new, new blood comes in to the bottom part. But then there are people who are right on that edge. They may drop out down or they, or they may have enough wins to stay in for next year. And so the, the Freakonomics people did a statistical analysis of the later matches and discovered that essentially they statistically proved that the sumo wrestlers who were comfortably uh, winning would late in the season throw their games to bring up people who were just on the edge of falling out. And then early in the next year, those people would quickly lose their matches to the people who threw to them, bumping them up early in in that extra season. In other words, they were pretty much statistically proving that the the players were colluding. And collusion is pretty much outside the integrity of, of games by just about any standard, but it's encouraged by that particular ladder rule set.
0: One of the things that the the Serlin Post talks about is smart players who are playing to win are going to do whatever it takes to win. And there's a line there I'm sure somewhere that we'd all agree upon like blood doping or whatever it is. But there's kind of a point where you go any realistic competitor is going to make these choices because that's a smart thing to do.
1: Well, but the objection is interesting. like conduct – Implies that at least the organizers of the game are considering it more than just a rule set, in in the way that the well, but that's because they're embarrassed.
0: They're embarrassed because it's obvious that these people are throwing the game, and it makes the designers or the the people that are administering the game look bad.
2: Well, I, I now, I mean, there's there's one way of of doing that. It's true, but that's sort of the unwritten part of of the game culture, and the notion that everything. Must be written down or otherwise it's okay. Anything that is uh, not prohibited is accepted. There is, is no such thing as lore or culture for a sport or a, a sporting attitude or, and so forth is kind of pathetic about a, a particular game or, or sport. The, the notion that they are nothing but a set of rules and algorithms and such, along with a random number generator, which is the players running their way through, is
0: SAP. Well, let's talk about a, a hypothetical scenario, because I can't think of a real one, where a certain gear combination and a certain player combination was found to be overpowered in Battlegrounds and World of Warcraft. And so people go to the battlegrounds, and let, let's think of the worst example. So what's what's the one where the the second one, not the first one. The first one's uh, Warsong Gulch. The second one is. Do you remember what it's called? Arathi. Arathi. Okay, so they're they're basically camping the last spawn and just killing everybody as soon as they come in because they're beating them so bad.
2: Yes, I've certainly been in that
0: position. But let let's say it becomes you know reproducible because of some mechanic in the game. Uh, is that unsportsmanlike? Are those players wrong? I mean, certainly it's fun for a while and there's always that sense that it's not going to last because they're going to patch that. Right. And that's ultimately
2: that's the, the outer game for that is that you're fighting not the other players, but you're des- fighting the Blizzard game designers who are going to do a hot patch if they discover an exploit of, for example, if you go into a particular zone and stand up on a crate. Yeah. Uh, other people's general air, air, area of effect spells don't touch you. Uh, or the early World of Warcraft things of, of uh, players with pets that would attack when attacked that might be set off by you using a spell that was otherwise not considered aggressive. And so it caused the, somebody else's pet to attack you and cause all of the guards in the, the uh, zone to go and attack you. Even though somebody else initiated it, those are pretty clearly exploits which need to be fixed. An exploit is essentially, by my definition, an exploit is game behavior not intended by the designers.
1: And it's unfair. Well, that's but but game behavior. <laughs> there's lots of game behavior not intended by the the designer that is like ends up being awesome, right? <laughs> But game behavior not intended by the designer that is used for a competitive advantage. Um,
0: well, whole, whole game mechanics stay. have emerged, and I can't think of an example, but whole game mechanics have emerged because of this kind of thing, like weird game cultures develop because of things like that.
2: But you know, let, me, let me point out something about this, though. Pretty much what we're, we're, we're doing here is it's, it's like insider trading. There's only an advantage if you know it and the other people don't. Right? If you're the first one to jump off on that crate and and be in the the, the magical position that you can't be hurt or whatever, then then you're there and you can have your fun and so forth. Everybody else will just move away from you or whatever is necessary so that you don't have fun anymore. But the noobs who don't know about it, they're going to come up and you're going to kill them right away. Ha, 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 ha. But if everybody (laughs) uniformly knows it, then... It actually isn't a win for anybody at all. The only thing here is, we're talking about a a piece of knowledge of something in the game that is against all expectations of the world, because in fact it is a bug in the world.
1: Yeah, and that's different from you having you having access to or knowing strategies that is not common knowledge in the world. Yes, Uh,
2: strategies. Yeah, strategy is a different
1: thing. Part of that is is you feel like the strategy is is like hard won, right? (laughs) That it it uh, you like, it's it's not just like a random thing that you discovered. It's it's something that that you earned. You you sort of like earn the right to be much better than the other place. And
0: you're, you're talking about guild wars like mechanics, which are similar, I think, to to something you know well, Magic the Gathering,
1: where somebody comes up
0: with a new deck of abilities that seems overpowered for a while until they either release new abilities to counter it or people figure out what the counter is and can address it, right?
1: Yeah, like like when the the Red Weenie decks came out for for the first time. I think may have mentioned that before. Like it wasn't shared knowledge until that happened at a few tournaments. Now somebody that. cleaned
0: and, house seriously.
1: <laughs> yeah. But then that's also the sort of thing where people can I mean as you said sort of react against that that strategy On appropriately or on on the same, I guess, playing field, rather than the idea of...
0: We need a patch to the game to fix this, yeah.
1: Yeah, being on a crate where you're invincible.
0: Game
2: designers generally, though, try to set things up in a rock, paper, scissors at the very least level of complexity, so that or rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock, if at the very least you are using the, the brand-new red deck and and wiping the floor. The main reason you're wiping the floor is that all the other people have not realized that these other cards that they thought were worthless are actually the solution to beating that red deck. Now, obviously, the game designers could have just completely screwed up, but usually it's just because the other players are so caught in a rut from the way they've been playing before only playing rock versus paper, rock versus paper, and then lizard comes in, and they don't 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 even know how to deal with it.
1: Uh, that's a, yeah, That's a great analogy.
0: Uh, he's, he's he's referencing uh, Big Bang Theory, right? Isn't that a thing? Yes. Yes, and for
2: those people who don't know, they just don't deserve.
0: Yeah, just stop and watch the show, and then come back.
1: I like it better the idea that Tom just made that up on the spot. I'm gonna.
0: <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna hold on to that. I'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> for me,
2: as I said early on, in my opinion, for almost all games, the fundamental goal of a game is is to be fun. I'm going to accept that there are exceptions of games that are audiovisual presentations or or Dark Souls <laughs> that are that are. Are just out there to be ironic statements about games. But for the, the general sense of what we mean when we talk about video games, their goal is that the people who play them have a good time. Fairness or perception of unfairness is something that can break that. There are, you know, that fun is a fragile little flower and this is one of the things that can can crush it game glitches crashes uh, loads of other things can can crash it but i you know fairness particularly in multiplayer games i think is a very important component of games remaining fun and and staying fresh
1: we we talked about the the players and and like people who exploit or use unfair tactics It seems like a lot of it is on the game designer to ensure that the game is either thought through enough or tested enough or passed frequently enough that those things don't happen, right? I
0: think it's a two-part response. It's, It's having a release schedule that allows you to be agile enough to deal with these things if they happen. And it's also about having really good communications. I mean, in EVE, from time to time, they'll issue a fatwa where they say, we have noticed that players are doing X. Everyone should be on notice that that is considered an exploit, and we will obliterate you if you do it. That seems to put a damper on things until they can patch it out. Right. For
2: multiplayer games, that's an important thing, which is the way the game designers, the game company, deals with the community itself is a component of the overall game ecosystem and people 's perception, and so if you can convince people that something looks horrible, feels horrible and and makes them feel bad, but it 's like no no you 're going through boot camp now, and you 're going to be real a real badass after you 've done this, you can convince people to go through that and have done something at the end of that 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 was not really a fun experience, but then after that, they feel. I earned my way in, uh, that I, I in some way now, now feel my, better about myself relative to the noobs who haven't done it. You can play on that. That sort of, of aspect of, of essentially game design, which is also community design. And and community design can can control people's perceptions of fairness a great deal.
0: My tendency is to tie this back to grind sure i talked about scrabble to the point of nausea when we we had that discussion but there was an article recently that i don't think we mentioned at the time which was how to memorize all the two and three letter words that exist mhm 10 fun ways to memorize these words my first reaction when i when i see something like that is that's not fair i thought this was a game about building clever words and boxing at your your opponents and apparently it's it's rote memorization and cruelty <laughs>
1: That happened to me where I played against a friend where I had been playing sort of enough to know the two-letter words, and I think he stopped playing because basically I was playing with words that that he didn't consider real words outside of this world in which you memorize two-letter words. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the lovely game Qwerty had a had a mode where it would only allow you to use like <laughs> real people words. So they had kind of the the Uber player. Mo- it was like a, it was a Boggle knockoff on iOS, but they had you know regular mode and they had reasonable mode, which sort of limited the dictionary that it drew from, and they would accept.
2: My attitude about about Scrabble is that's fine. I'm not interested in playing it that way. When I play Scrabble, I mostly look at it and, and I try to think of longest interesting words or setting up for that and, and, and try for it. And I understand that objectively that's a losing strategy. Doesn't matter. That's happens to be trying to think of interesting words in my vocabulary and or, or or fit them in what I see geometrically on the screen is more interesting to me.
0: And that's the way I play it. And what do you say to the the Guild Wars player or the the World of Tanks player? that walks into a Scrabble game wanting to put down words they recognize and finds that they're in a game where a bunch of, of garbage is being strung together uh, with, with great you know, efficacy. Do the, is their is there claim of not fair reasonable or unreasonable? How do you break that down?
2: Is it in the dictionary that the game said it was your reference?
0: I, well, I think it did, but it wasn't necessarily on the back of the box. Is it unsportsmanlike to memorize the two letter words? A reasonable person walks into that game and says, I thought it was going to be about this and I, that's not fair. I, I feel cheated. They're the whiner. Is that your take? Yes.
1: <laughs> well, I can, I'll report back to to my friend uh, on that. I think he'll be, I'll be happy to gloat.
0: Yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom would be happy to call him and tell him that he can stuff it or she. <laughs> I'm fine with you saying, If that's the way this
2: game works, I'm not interested in this game. Isn't that kind of implicit, that if you don't have a large vocabulary, you're going to have trouble with
0: Scrabble? I'm I'm trying to talk about something that's not Scrabble, and I don't know what it is.
1: Okay. Memorizing the two-letter words is like analyzing and optimizing your, your badminton game in that it's... Well, I guess not for top Scrabble players, but for casual Scrabble players is something that was sort of out, outside of the, the implicit play for, for fun sort of.
0: Like listen, if you want to get a gold medal, you need to lose this next round. That's, that's how you get a gold medal. But a a reasonable person would say that's not, that's not, that's not fair. But then, oh, I, I like fantasy worlds. I enjoy running around the countryside as a, as a rouge and backstabbing evil orcs. That, right. that sounds like fun. Okay, join my 40-man raid. Okay, so tell me about your rotation. You know, how how effective how efficient is that? The, uh, wait a minute. That's not the game that I signed up to play. Right. Except it is. And and I've invested 80, you know, 80,000 hours in it at this point. And now you're telling me that it's this?
2: I'm telling you that once you get into the raiding, I think your your implication here is that you're a noob. The similarity to your memorizing two-letter words in Scrabble would be probably similar to all of the combos and such that you have to memorize in Street Fighter-like games. You have to have learned the particular attack combinations and response combinations, as well as getting down the rhythms.
1: Yeah, so like the responses for what to do in certain situations that don't particularly demand a nuanced... Or innovative, uh, strategy when there's clearly like a right thing to do at a certain time.
0: Yeah, and I guess, I guess your response is still like suck it up Twinkie and, and deal with it. And if that's not fun with, for you, that's, this is not the right game for you to be playing anyway.
2: That's what the game is. I don't know why, unless you're unhappy that you don't know all of the special magic responses or combos that weren't documented on the front of the game package, but people who research game wikis and so forth have found, even that, you could have been doing the look, the the
1: research, too. Is a more nuanced take not, yeah, maybe you should play with other people who have the same expectations as you because you're in the wrong uh, ladder.
0: (laughs) I just – I'm really interested in this idea of there being strata of games that you wouldn't necessarily realize unless you went and read the wiki and read the fact and read the all this stuff before you went to play. And how does that affect the sense of wonder and delight? Going back to the Tom Chick thing, I mean what, what he said is like – and I have not played Secret World but like there's all kinds of weird and crazy stuff. That that happens. Do you guys remember that game that, that would make you think your computer was crashing?
1: There's like a Cthulhu game. There's a few different games that, like Sanity games, that are like, oh, deleting your save games.
0: <laughs> yeah, or like it would make the, the monitor glitch, doing all kinds of gaslighting stuff for, to you. But uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you read about that, it kind of kills that sense of delight and discovery. We've all had the experience, I hope, of going to see a movie and knowing nothing about the movie. Just sitting down and watching it, and not seeing the trailers and not knowing what the story arc is, even though you know Ars Technica tells us that spoilers don't really diminish our enjoyment. You know, there there, there can be a lot of delight in letting something unravel and having no idea where it's going to go. Your attitude of, what well, you should have known before you you sunk into this game, only works for a player that's going to play
1: that way. Once again, acknowledging the the division between the people who. I think it's right to play sportsman-like or have the expectation that versus the people who really the point of the game is, is to have that knowledge and and to take advantage act- of every opportunity they have.
0: Yeah, except in the sense that, that the people who think they're being sportsman-like are actually being somewhat delusional. That even the game developers have condoned the behavior of the others.
1: I don't know if, it, if, if delusional is right because it seems like there is a world for people to play sportsman like games, right? It's, well yeah, but, but that's because all not,
0: sports are supposed to be sportsman like and like when you talk about Batman. Like fundamentally you're supposed to be sportsman like. But I'm thinking more of like
1: But, but that's like, like casual versus competitive too.
0: Yeah, right? but like like playing Half Life Two, right? Uh excuse me. Playing Team Fortress Two, right? Where you mean I've got to shoot? I was going to talk
1: about playing Half-Life 2. I, was, I got really excited. Got, I know. I
0: But, like, you mean as a as a soldier, I've got to fire a rocket in front of my feet and then hurt myself so that I can jump higher? Like, I have no interest in doing that. That's not what people <laughs> do. You know, and that's a fundamental mechanic in the game that you've got to learn if you're going to be a player. You know about rocket jumping, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um I know the specifically Team Fortress, but I know the phenomenon of rocket jumping in games.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean I don't want to be bitchy about this. I'm just, just talking. <laughs> so do one of you guys wanna wanna put a cap on this?
1: Hmm. The things that we touched on conveniently give us uh, a few avenues into other things to talk about. I think we didn 't really talk about fairness and difficulty, though difficulty in the sense of brokenness entered into it. The idea of complexity in games, the wickification of, of of games and and needing to know lots of of world facts is another interesting thing to to explore. None of those things have to do with fairness, just what we talked about.
2: (laughs) All we looked at today was how fairness relates to player-player interactions. And the reason I thought this was an interesting topic was as an extension of our earlier conversation about perceptions of fairness of how a free-to-play game company is treating its its sheep and you know, screwing up with screwing my metaphor how the sheep get milked. Yeah,
1: it's it's funny that we didn't actually talk about it that much, but that is an interesting thing where it is something that does feel unfair that you can buy your way to an awesome character and and victory that is wholly condoned and is like the business plan of the game designers.
2: No, 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 no. It's the only way I'm ever going to be decent. You can't take it away from me.
0: Yeah. Well, in the game developers will be very quick to tell you you can never buy victory. That that's an intrinsic thing. You can just you can just get the means to to deliver you to victory. So I'm I'm heartbroken that you guys skipped out on on the Artemis game that we had.
1: Yeah, I found out about it too late, and then discovered that it looked really awesome, and I wish I played it.
2: I, I got interested too late. Oh wait, it hasn't happened yet.
0: It was awesome. We had uniforms, and uh, we all had pre pre. No, we didn't. But I did tear apart my whole house. Big Bang Theory in spades, yes. I did tear apart my whole house to make it work though. Um, So that was, that was cool. The game mechanics weren't, it's not clear to me that they're super rich, but just the whole thing of getting a bunch of people in a room and dividing responsibilities and having everybody need to row together to make the thing work was very interesting.
1: This reminds me that we've been very structured lately, which I like because we've um, gotten into some like pretty rich topics, but we haven't asked the question of what you're playing lately lately. Jim, what are you playing these days? I just got three games. Killzone 3, which is uh, boring and not worth talking about, but it's going to be a fun FPS for me to play. I And then I got Catherine and Dark Souls, and I just started playing Dark Souls.
2: No, wait, 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 wait. I've got to go back to the it, it's, it's boring FPS, but it's going to be fun to play. Popcorn. Where, He's saying
0: it's
1: where, popcorn. It's a
2: little dissonant to me there.
1: Well, there's 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 not a lot interesting that I could I could talk about it.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay, Uh,
1: but but it is simply it's not going to be boring for me to play it. It's going to be it's going to be great for me to play it. Okay, that's
2: fine. And and I actually, as we as we discuss sort of what is good and what is bad about games and so forth, I'm all for things that are just plain interesting and fun in and of themselves and not. Mining new veins of emotional development in in player characters or whatever, but are you know just blasting things and having good game mechanics? Sounds like that may be what this is.
1: Now, have you dug into yeah. Dark Souls yet? I played a little bit enough that I've had my first experience of of like walking for like five minutes and then a ghost jumping out and from behind a door and killing me and losing all of my experience. I'm, is it a uh,
2: single player or a multiplayer game? I'm sorry. I'm and, I'm exper- it, ignorant.
1: It's a single player, though I think there's a multiplayer component where you can play online and you see the sort of phantoms of other players in your world. You you're an undead character who escapes from this asylum and it's like a role-playing game. You you have a class and design your character, but the biggest thing's about it is just the that has got it talked about is just the insane difficulty level and unforgiving mechanics to it, which I was interested to play it because of how it was described by friends, and I wanted to experience that, though I don't think I have the interest level to play it for 60 hours.
0: It's, it's also a game where there's a lot of stuff that works on a global calendar you know, from when you start playing the game, and you could miss a lot, potentially, if you don't know to be in the right spot at the right time,
1: right? Uh, I don't know. I'm not there yet. <laughs> you were it.
0: The no high scores guys. One of the guys talks about it all the time because he loves that. Game.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, basically what I'm trying is uh, saying is I'm I'm trying to to mine a new vein of emotional exploration in 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 games, at least in my world.
0: <laughs> hey, good for you, uh, T- Tom. What are you playing?
1: Uh,
0: I actually did
2: try to start playing Guild Wars too, and this is through no fault of Guild Wars. In fact, I, I'm a little guilty because I got various other friends to start playing it and said, where, what server are you on? What's your account and so forth? Promptly after I emailed them all that, all, all that information, World of Tanks had a 5x experience weekend and I couldn't do anything but play Rollins. <laughs> I just, it is. That's I, like
0: I, free money, man. You got to take uh, advantage of that.
2: I, I just feel so completely manipulated and controlled and I accept that it's working. The Mists of Pandaria World of Warcraft expansion is coming up. I may be the only person I know who is going back in, but I absolutely will go back in.
0: So we're going to lose you to that for a while. Yes, you will.
2: Somebody at work sent me a scroll of resurrection, so I will get a free week. This is actually slightly uh, reflective of Desperation? I don't know. The Scroll of Resurrection not only gives me a free week, but when he gets enough people to come back in where I actually, their friends actually pay for at least a month, he gets extra stuff as well for having conned me to come, uh, coming, uh, back in and so forth. I also can use the Scroll of Resurrection to take any of my characters and bring them up to level 80.
0: But Tom, Um, that's not fun. You can't do that
2: now. I'm not particularly interested. I have several characters at level 80, and and so forth. All, but one of the other things it does is it also allows me to take any one of those that that character that I I level up and bring it over to his my friend's server.
0: Oh, for, do a free transfer.
2: They're doing lots of very smart things, but in some ways, just about everything you 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 read about them doing. Another interesting gameplay that they're doing is that for the low-level regular player versus environment zones, they're apparently merging servers on the fly, similar to the way Battlegrounds...
0: Oh, so they're shared instances.
2: In groups, they're they're sort of instances, yes. They essentially say uh, such and such a zone is very low population on all the servers, so... These five servers together are just sharing that the same way they would in a battleground. I think it's brilliant. Cool design,
0: uh, very cool design. But it also reeks of decay, right? It, it Actually, it, uh, knowing about it reeks
2: of ca- decay, but not having experienced it, I can't say this for sure, but it seems to me that it would prevent people from feeling that decay. Yeah. Without the you were forced to consolidate to another server, which is reeking of decay.
0: Do do (laughs) you know or can you say if Amalur was going to be a sharded world or a single world? I actually don't know. Hmm. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about EVE is the way they built that as a single contiguous world, and then the zones had servers as were necessary.
2: Yes. On some level, that was a technological design challenge for the the engineers from the beginning that shared game design with implementation.
0: Of course, there's a whole hell of a lot less to worry about if you're just a bunch of, you know, a lot of empty space versus what they have to do with a game like WoW. Yeah,
2: well, Champions Online actually had a fairly bizarre instanced system in which you weren't on a particular server that you could name, but when you went into a zone, you might or might not see your friends there, even though they were in the same zone. But you could pull yourself into their instance, deliberately.
0: Well, th- that was the way that Guild Wars 1 was designed. How's, how's Guild Wars 2 work?
2: Guild Wars 2, there are named realms, so I assume those are server clusters. But they also have the, the concept of zones, of overflow zones. So that if a particular zone gets too full, because they have event-like things similar to Warhammer Online, and I still like that, it's a very good game mechanic. When those happen and too many people are in, you may get shunted into an overflow zone, and it just warns you, this is where you are, and you'll be back eventually. Now, the, the one of the pr- bad things about that is your friend you may no longer be able to play with your friends until the, the game population goes down. That's that's
0: interesting. Uh, Yeah, it's totally different from the way Guild Wars was because with the original one, any time you went out into the wilderness, it was a private instance.
1: I'm just really glad that for the amount that we talk about World of Warcraft, someone will actually be playing it again. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Speaking of last from the past, we played a little Left 4 Dead this week. Uh, I guess when it was together. I thought I thought my wife was going to kill me because I walked away from her in the middle of she got vomited on by a zombie or something. Oh and, no! And she that was really there was some definite definite anger being being sent my way. So we we were hoping to get eight people together. And we only got four, but we we still might might make that happen, <clears throat> Tom soon.
1: I I would like to I've I don't really think that I've played Left for Dead with other people more than like one or two times played Left 4 Dead 1 as a single-player game, and Left 4 Dead 2 just was not interesting enough to play as a single-player game. So I didn't complete it. So I well, would definitely you, be interested. You,
0: you poor thing. Yeah, you're missing out. Mm-hmm. So you've never played the 4-on-4 mode?
1: I've, I feel like I, ha- I haven't really had the experience of vomiting all over my friends.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so interesting, particularly because they rolled it out, Tom, right, after we'd been playing Left 4 Dead for a while. Or we never got around to, something like that. And so, you know, after having all this experience getting ambushed by the, the super zombies that exist in the game that have special abilities to try to play them and realize how hard it is because the essence of the game is that the super zombies, you know, have these great abilities that can basically incapacitate any player. But if you just try to walk up to a player, they'll blow you away because they have bullets and you don't. Yeah, and so you have to be very, very tricky, and learning how to see the game from that perspective is is really fun. All right, let's do it. <laughs> did we? Did we send? Did I include you on the on the the dispatch last time?
1: Yeah, but I, I was uh I was unable to. Okay, well
0: uh, we'll, we'll we'll do it again. I, I I really believe that we can get it. I think that's something we can make work. And you know, it's about time the game's only however many years old. Uh, it is on the Mac though, so that's good for all of us.
1: Oh, so you're playing on uh, the computer? I just assumed that you're playing on on console. Sorry. Oh God, who does that? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> I was I was ready to bring my Xbox controller over, but.
0: Oh man, that's I, I we can't even get started on that today because that's that's a bigger discussion. I, I have been playing the Xbox a bit more just because it's it's nice when you're tired to kind of flop down and grab a controller. So. Playing a little Awesome Knots, playing a little Bastion. There's also that new, what's the new Ninja Stealth game that came out?
1: Is it the, the game that, you know that Kill Screen has like a, an email of oh, new yeah, games? Oh yeah, it's
0: great. No, they covered it. Yeah. Mark of the Ninja? Mark of the Ninja, that's right. They also had a Choose Your Own Adventure as a, as a marketing tool. So I, I, I think that's one I've gotta get. Since you mentioned the Kill Screen mailer, I'm gonna throw out another thing for, for everybody here. Have you checked out the Sawbuck Gamer? Article from the Gamological Society. There's a there's a blog, a game website called the Gamological Society, which I think is a well. If you look it up, you can tell what it is. There's a pretty well positioned, like AV uh, video thing that I think is a spinoff from the Onion, and this is the gaming version of that. But they have a periodic thing called the Sawbuck Gamer, which which covers games that are free or cost less than ten bucks, and I've really enjoyed. Like seeing all the, the flash games and stuff that they highlight
1: as part of that. The Sawbuck gamer. Okay.
0: Yeah, Sawbuck, Sawbuck. I think is slang for a $10 bill.
1: Yeah. Cool. Thanks for reminding me to, uh, play Mark of the Ninja. I'll do that <laughs> uh, after a hundred hours of Dark Souls.
0: Yeah, on, on the Xbox, of course. Cool. Anything else we want to talk about now? Well, okay. <laughs> um, that'd be a no? I, I think levels and loot next week, guys, if you're up for it.
1: Okay. Depending on how much, uh, I play Dark Souls, we, it may be levels, loots, and, and difficulty.
0: <laughs> well, it ties together. So I think if we do levels and loot, and then we need to spin off into difficulty, we, we have a lot of, a lot of rich soil there. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, have a good night, guys. Thanks. All right. You too.
1: Night.